This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hello, Automotive Aftermarket peoples. It's Carm Capriato, Remarkable Results Radio, and the Tunnel Academy, Week 329. We're here to talk about ATEX, making ATEX. And before you jump all over this, what makes an ATEX? How do we make an ATEX? Please hear us out. I think there's a great discussion to happen here. I'd like to introduce my great panel, Matt Fonslow, Shop Manager, Lead Diagnostician, Riverside Automotive, Red Wing, Minnesota, and from the Matt Fonslow Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z podcast. Hey, Matt. How's it going? Ryan Coyman, Director of Training Standard Motor Products. Hi, Ryan. Good evening. Glad to be back. Uh, thank you so much. Scott Manna, Aftermarket Trainer and works for uh, Great Water Garages as their lead trainer. Hello, Scott. Hello, Carm. Thanks for having me back. Great to be here. So happy you're here. And we always have to introduce you as the AC Delco Technician of the Millennium. The great is- one. Which pales compared to the golden mechanic that's uh, at the other mic. So, guys, I can't wait to jump into this thing. It's been something that's kind of been burning a hole in my pocket for a long time and wanting to discuss this. And I do have my opinions after kind of being the host of uh, the industry's premier podcasts uh, for eight years now and 1,200 plus episodes on the network. We hear the stories all the time, and I would just love to be able to get Ryan, Matt, and Scott's perspective on what it takes to become or to make an A-Tech. Let's stop and give a high five to our great sponsors. How much time does your staff waste scrolling through monster uncategorized lists when building an estimate? Well, forget about it. Shopware serves up front and center all previously written services by year, make, model, and engine size. Talk to my friends at Shopware, getshopware.com. And trust in the aftermarket supplier that makes parts that cars are born with. With over 100 years of OE heritage, Delphi Technologies Quality Parts gives you peace of mind. Learn more at delphiaftermarket.com. And guys, please use the power of our classroom page on remarkableresults.biz and our website. Build your own knowledge base with your leadership team. Go there. There's like 30 subjects, 30 topics. We've bundled episodes together in four packs so you can sit down with your leadership team and say, hey, I think we should look at processes and listen to them and then come back with them ideas and improve your business. Guys, look. I remember hearing John DeJulius talk about his hair salon back. Great episodes. Author John DeJulius interviewed him twice. And there was a certain client that came in with a problem. And he basically says, look, that's going to take a level 10 stylist to work on your hair. And it's going to cost a little bit more money. And it just kind of blew me away when he was talking about levels of success. And when we think about mechanical and we think about diagnostician and the deep state of being a diagnostician, Matt, and I listen to every one of your podcasts. And when I think about the knowledge base, what you guys have to know in order to tackle a problem, I know one thing for sure, Matt, I think in the last episode, I don't think I want to go do an engine. I just want to stay over here. And the engine guys don't want to go over there. But I think it was Matt Scundrus that says, just give me a tire to do. I just want to clear my mind. I wanted to do something mechanical, right? It was, that was so interesting to hear. So we have our tendencies Yet, when we say, I got to give it to an A-tech, is that an A-mechanical? Is it it an A-diagnostician? But we can argue what those monikers or levels mean, but in every case, guys, you got to be a forever perpetual student. You have to read OE service bulletins, and you have to be committed to be the top of your craft in the place you work at and in your career. Is this all about how it takes to make and A, from whatever is mechanical or diagnostician. I think you've wrapped it up right there. So good night, everybody. Thank you for coming. And uh, (laughs) no more to say. No more to go. Well, Ryan, then if I've wrapped it up, then let's tell the rest of the world who may say, Carm made a great point. How do I do this? So let's talk about the how and the why. The first and foremost thing is it's not to beg on the episode. It's just that I don't know that the shop can make an ATEC but I know they can break one. I mean, I know they can hold somebody back from achieving that or at least draw out the timeline to get to that level. It still takes a lot of individual um, effort and I think probably some natural born talent or skill, but you still have to put in the work. I don't know if people always consider the amount of hours. It's gotta be in the thousands of hours that Ryan has put in, Scott's put in, so many other names we could just rattle off 
and it isn't hours at the shop, or if it is at the shop, it's after business hours to learn more, to you know, find ways to get to training events, find ways to get more information, save up money, don't buy the boat, don't take the family out to eat, you spent it on training materials. So that's where I think the shop can help. The individual still got to put in the work. They still have to have that drive to go to the next level, the next level, the next level. So would you summarize that as opportunity? Yeah, right. They got to give you the opportunity. You know, I, I guess I was looking back at my own career, going from a shop where you're micromanaged and got a foot on your head and really able to grow. But it seemed like some of the other stuff was there. I certainly had the drive and the desire to grow. And there was, I was really blessed really my whole career to have probably the number one Vtronic salesman in the country at the multiple shops. So, I mean, we had Tech 1A, Tech 2, had the very first Vtronic's uh, 5100 or 5200 scope. We had a cast machine, you know, engine analyzers, you know, tailpipe sniffing, scopes, all that stuff. But by being held down kind of, it prevented me from growing. Then the next shop had the opportunity, like like you'd mentioned, I believe. And then you kind of combine the, the investment from the shop, invest personally, financially, and time-wise, along with the drive, then it became a tremendous opportunity. And so early 2000s, we started talking about mode six and, you know, I was two miles away from the shop. And so it was easy at night to go in and start scanning. And we had a 28 bay shop. So it was lots of cars to look at, lots of cars to play with, if you will. You know, that's how Scott and I first met was on a Saturday in Chicago at a shop. You know, there were 10 of us or whatever, just messing around, trying to learn stuff and perfect the craft. Same thing with like in-cylinder pressure transducers and stuff in the in the late 2000s. And just having that that drive along with the opportunity and like you said, making the investments there. And I think the third thing is it results in experience. And so a lot of this was as a result of that stuff. But getting that personal experience, you know, I see a lot of people with great potential to be in a tech. They have the drive, they've got the opportunity, they're ready to make the investment, but they don't have the experience yet. Let me stop you for a moment and say this, that I believe that the technician and the shop owner walk down the aisle. It's a marriage of, I am ready, I am willing, will you pay for it? Yes, I will. Here's the classes I want to go to. I'll fly you, we'll bring in people, we'll do whatever we can because as an, any individual improves themselves, so does the shop. And that's where part of this is, Matt, I'm sure you have six figures. Every one of you have six figures invested in tools, no doubt. And the shop has six figures invested in tools. Matt, you pay for so much of your own training and maybe the shop picks up some of that. I'm not sure, but I know high culture, high retention shops are investing in this with and for their people. So if we're going to make a text, whatever that moniker meaning is, we've got to do it together. Because I can't imagine that there's a shop that doesn't have a place that they get a paycheck from. And I guess part of the reason that we're having this discussion maybe is to convince the shop owners to get off their wallet and to stop accepting the excuse that my people won't go to training, because then you'll never be able to do the kind of work that you're challenged with every day. Matt, I'm, I'm listening to you doing stories, and these guys talk about, oh my God, this thing came in, and everybody's you know laughing and guffawing because they know that those are huge challenges. The person who's not studying, the person who's not investing in themselves, the person who's not reading service, they're stuck. They're just going to call it a mobile guy. Is that what we're left to do? Wait a minute. Every A-tech in America, every level 10-tech, whatever you want to call them, is going to be a mobile diet guy. That's it. A lot of the mobile guys, though, are the techs that Ryan's talking about, that they have the skill, the drive, the whatever innate talent, but they're held down, held down, held down. And finally, it's like, well, I'm just going to go into business for myself and focus on what I love to do. And then a lot of them just kind of explode, and they're all of a sudden they're in that tier, whatever that is, that you know, upper echelon of diagnosticians or tech savvy technicians, if you want to involve like programming and EPROM, stuff like that. There's a common thread between the three of us, Carm, and it was something called the Linder Technical Conference. And I believe that might be the place that I first met Ryan and Matt, as a matter of fact. Unfortunately, being the old guy in the room, we got to back way up and look at training from a couple of decades ago when technical training really started to 
take off as the technology started to explode. And once you got either a couple of the years under your belt in the industry, working at a shop, or you came out of a, some kind of a post-secondary educational thing, whether you went to a private technical school or you took classes at a community college, training, there wasn't that much training. There's always been training and there's always going to be training for both A, B, and C technicians and general service technicians. But when you define the A-tech, when you start talking about that A-tech, this guy who embraces the technical side of it, he doesn't wait to be asked to go to training. He finds that training. There's two words that have come to my mind all the time when you bring this up, and that is determination. The A-tech is an extremely determined individual. He will not let a car beat him. He will work and work. The idea of flat rate or I'm only getting paid an hour for this diag, that just goes right out the window. He doesn't care anymore. He's determined to outsmart the machine. And of course, it's motivation. They're, they are extremely self-motivated. So again, they don't wait to be told by the boss, hey, there's a class coming up. Do you want to take it? They go to the boss and say, I want to attend this class. What do I got to do to do it? And that's you know what starts to build that. And then, of course, there's the culture in the shop, which kind of Ryan talked about. And it, it's really important. I've seen places where that culture is not there and there's not a lot of camaraderie. And I was at a shop not that long ago talking to a tech, one of the shops that we own. And he said, all the places he's worked at until he's worked at this current shop that he's at, there was never anybody to talk to. I could never bounce an idea off the boss. There was no interaction between the techs. They were in her silo as, as uh, Ryan said earlier, that they just, they weren't mentored. You know, there's a mentoring to an ATEC that goes on where you're sharing ideas and you're sharing experiences and the shops that get it and the shops that are supporting training today where they're embracing training, the shops that's closed down and send an entire crew there, they get that. They already have that culture. You know, that culture is what breeds a lot of these A technicians. And then we can move on into the difficulty of classifying A technicians and compensating A technicians, which is, I don't know if that's part of this podcast or not, but it's one of the difficulties. It's one of the challenges that the industry faces and the need for these guys and yet our inability to figure out how to compensate these guys. You touched on something there, I think, which is pretty cool that at least I'm seeing more and more of, as you said, these shops are closing down and just investing in training. You know, we're getting more and more requests of a shop going, hey, can you send a trainer in here and just, you know, Thursday afternoon, do a class just for my techs. And you didn't see that 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I guess through social media, you see different shops, you know, like our friend Seth in Minneapolis or around the Twin Cities there you know, supplying all the tools, hand tools, all kinds of stuff. It, it's just such a different world. And I think we're starting to see a bigger split between the upper echelons and the, the lower echelons. And I think they're going to attract, build, and retain these A-level techs that we're talking about, whether it be diagnostics or an R&R tech or whatever. I was blessed, again, at my last stop in the repair bay was a 28-bay shop where I could focus and grow my abilities as a diagnostic tech. And Matt said, you know, that's where a lot of us learn together here when new technologies, new stuff came out. And so getting into programming and just different, you know, scoping and different stuff, I could focus on that. But you asked me to go replace an engine or whatever. <laughs> that's not my game. You know, I'm done. I'm walking out the door. And we had guys that did that. And you, you ask them, what do you want for lunch? Do you want Arby's or Taco Bell? And they couldn't make that decision, you know, so they weren't diagnostic techs by any stretch of the imagination, but man, they're good at putting puzzles together, I'll, I'll call it, right? And they could pull an engine apart and remember where every little bolt went. And so to pretend that every technician is created equal from the beginning, we all have the same potential, I believe, but we all are given different gifts, right? And so we all have different thought processes. And again, when you have a bigger shop, Fortunately, there's some different opportunities there, and hopefully there's a little bit of thought put into assembling the team, if you will, because if the three of us work together, it would be a lot of fun, but we can't just diagnose cars and do drivability. We got to make some money, and somebody's got to pound in some ball joints and hang some suspension parts and replace water pumps, and so there's, there's got to be a good blend in there, and again, I think to that culture piece, if the shop's invested in making an A diagnostic tech, I firmly believe that they're going to have some A suspension techs, A R&R guys, A tire busters, right? They're going to attract and retain and train and help build some of these people across all skill sets. Hey, Ryan, do you have any idea why Matt got all the gifts and I didn't get any? <laughs> you got the good looks, my friend. <laughs> yes. There you go. Okay. I, I'm the one on the short end of the stick. <laughs> the tallest one by far. 
Right. Tallest was the, with the most sure. uh, girth or gravitational pull. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like Ryan said, I don't think, you know, whatever level I'm at and whatever that means, I have a very, very rough time believing that I would have reached it without, especially that first independent shop I worked at where I was really allowed to muddle through. They sent me to training or let me go to training. Sometimes maybe I had to borrow money from the shop so I could go and then I had to, you know, they take it out of my check, but still that helped me get where I needed to go. Uh, not to be ultra defensive of that, but it's, you know, it led to it. And then the equipment, like that was the first time that they would acquire a factory scan tool and scopes, gas analyzers, and then really just let me work through problems. And part of that, I think is, from more of a management perspective is picking up on or noticing somebody with that it factor, whatever that is. So you've got Ryan Coyman working for you years ago, young, and maybe he's not knocking him out of the ballpark right away, but you're seeing he's not getting burned by the same thing twice. He's getting faster. He's got that. I don't even know what else, what else to call it other than the it factor. You know, you catch him a couple hours after work. He's still, reading something on service information or he's working on the car, trying different things, that would be a good clue, especially when you're seeing them progress to really start investing in that and trying to cultivate that so that it grows into what you have now for Ryan Coyman, or at least when he is at his peak in the base. And that's it's not a knock, right? It's you're onto a it's different rec- world. It, well, I think it's tail recognition, right? And that's something we've seen as an industry previously okay, I'm the best technician at my shop. I'm going to go start my own shop. I'm a terrible businessman. I'm a, <laughs> I don't know anything about HR and how to manage or lead people and put together the thought process to assemble a team around me. And I think in today's culture, certainly in, in the shop culture, we're seeing more and more of that. And I think like with Scott's role, kudos to their company for you know putting their own in-house training program together to help cultivate this type of culture through there. And so when you identify those technicians that are hungry and have opportunities and to continue with that, again, for myself, we just had a sermon on pride yesterday. So it's hard to say I was proud and had too much pride. Maybe I did, but it goes back to Scott saying it's man versus machine. And I had that pride at some point and going, you know what, instead of kicking this over to the dealer or something like that, no, nobody out there is smarter than I am. (laughs) Nobody's going to put in harder work or do the research here. And so I kind of said my back's against the wall. We're not shipping any other cars elsewhere. You know, the mobile wasn't a thing at the time, but I'm going to do the necessary research. The problem is between this bumper and this bumper. (laughs) It's a confined space, right? And I got to be able to find that problem there. And so it was just that type of attitude that really kind of struck a hunger there. Unfortunately, there were opportunities or even the right people in my life at the right time, you know, such as y'all here that were shared that hunger or we're kind of along that same path. And um, so I think networking is probably a part of the answer here of how a techs are made, not just working in, in your own little corner of the world, but by sharing other people. And like Scott said, of finding this technician that ha- now all of a sudden has people to talk to, I'm sure that that makes a big difference in that tech's life. If you run more than one shop, you know how vital it is to keep up with how each one is performing. But it can drive you crazy to log in and out of each shop's database as you try to compare KPIs. Look, stop making it hard. With Shopware's advanced analytics, you can easily pull all that data into one report. Heck, you can even set up the system to pump it out in a graph or a chart and then email it to you anytime you want. Why tax your brain before you even start looking for trends and wins to celebrate? Let the computer do the work for you. Spend less time sifting through pages of numbers. Now, once you see your business's potential right in front of you, you can take steps to make it even better. And then you can take a night off to enjoy the time you just won back. Benefit, go with the team that created DVX. My friends at GetShopware.com. As the trusted aftermarket brand for over 100 years, Delphi Technologies is by your side for every step of the repair process. The Delphi journey doesn't stop once the parts are ordered. Wherever your journey takes you, our quality parts gives you ease of mind when getting your customer's vehicle back on the road. Technicians know and trust Delphi as a quality brand. 
Each product undergoes rigorous testing to not only meet OE standards, but also enhance it in each opportunity. From 700 hours of spray testing on chassis components to fuel pumps tested for reliability up to 150,000 miles. And safety and reliability is paramount to help vehicles drive cleaner, better, and further throughout their lives. Delphi is also committed in developing products and services to prepare technicians for the future. Take advantage of how-to videos on YouTube, technician-led trainings, and our technical support line, and more. Turn to the aftermarket parts supplier with over 100 years of OEM trust and quality. Learn more about Delphi. Visit DelphiAftermarket.com. Talent recognition. Self, you recognize you've got some kind of gift, a thirst, a desire, an ability, and the shop owner's job also in his pillar of training in his company needs to be recognizing talent and investing in it. I mean, I've always got an underlying cause for every episode that we do. Sometimes it's what we don't say that's important, and that is, and I'm going to have to say it, you got to have a training resume, you got to pay for training, you got to bring in people. It's time in this professional industry, a high-tech professional industry that we're in, instead of calling people A-techs, I'm an A-tech. What the hell does that mean? We, sh- we could say that we're an A-mechanical and an A-diagnostician, right? The thing that has really hammered me so much in the last few years is the word A-tech. And the consumer doesn't understand what a technician is. They know they know what a mechanic is, period, and we're trying to change their paradigm and it's not going to work. But I'm going to put my best level A mechanic on this timing belt job for you. What a sell to a consumer. Yeah, I think years ago at Apex, Danny Sanchez and I were talking about this and he felt that the whole designation ABC was really how shop owners talked about technicians amongst themselves. And then, of course, the labor time guides had, exactly. I think the Mitchell labor right. time guide had ABCD or ABC. And I believe uh, all, all that is still does it. Does it? Okay. Yep. I think it had just levels of supervision. So a C tech would need quite a bit of supervision, a B tech, not quite as much or not, maybe not nearly as much. And an A tech relatively no supervision. They could handle the job beginning to end with little to no aid or supervision. Yeah, I just looked up uh, labor procedures on the battery replacement on a Dodge Ram and skill set B to do the current sensor or a C-level technician to do battery terminals. Do we need to be told that? Unless you're using tech authority for that programming, then it's an A-level. <laughs> yep. Right. Subscriptions. Right. Plus. To answer your question, Karma, I don't think we do, but there's probably a use case for it, right? There's probably some, you know, can you imagine a huge, like a dealership facility or whatever, and all the B work goes to this crowd or C work goes to that crowd, or I've personally never experienced it, but maybe somebody else has. Okay, let's think about this. I'm the dispatcher at the shop. I got a five, six bay shop, maybe four or five technicians. And my responsibility is to get that work order and, and assign the work. But I ultimately, through osmosis and team, I'm going to know the capabilities of all my people's. And to, I guess, to the point of ABC listed in all data that we're going to have to know where I'm going to assign that particular job. But wouldn't you think that the lead diagnostician could help guide this dispatcher as to where these jobs get assigned? Even goes further, because I like where you were heading with the concept of a mechanical, a diagnostician, you know, breaking it into different categories. Because I, I think truly within those categories, there are the different levels, right? You know, we've all worked with people at different skill sets. Yeah, and Ryan, if we're looking for talent, Matt, just think about, are you mentoring any individual in your place to take over for you someday? I'm trying. I'm trying very diligently. I sense a little hesitation in your voice, but the point is, is that we may have a diag C or B guy, however we want to rate them. I mean, maybe internally, Matt, you set the requirements or maybe the ultimately the industry does. In four or five years, we may have totally come out with a brand new way to build and create assessments in skill levels. I'm just throwing an idea way up in the air. It's asking a lot. You know, when they're asking me questions, I'm not kidding you. There's no ego here, especially when I'm the least intelligent in this group, that they're coming to me with these questions and I know the answers. And some of the questions... I can't answer in a sentence or two. 
it's like we're going to have to go to about 10 lunches to talk about this so you understand like why I could go on this test drive and look at fuel trims and determine almost exactly what's wrong with it in a one block test drive. And there's a lot of stuff building up to that. So it's asking a lot. Nobody really taught it to me other than Thornton classes, Mana classes, sitting outside waiting for our barbecue at Lindertech with Ryan talking about it, sitting on IATN and now Diagnostic Network until the wee hours of the morning that then the next car I could try it on and just get better and better. So now to have a tech that I'm trying to migrate a little bit into my space and needing to find a tech to kind of fill his shoes with what he's doing now in his position, which is difficult as well, and then try to coach him up and finding the holes in his game to fill in a little bit so that he's ready for the next step and the next step. And then, you know, can he take, you know, if you will, the lower level diag off my plate so I can focus more on the higher level stuff and then even more management type stuff that I probably should be doing more of or a better job of. But Matt, you're recognizing talent. You're giving the freedom for this person to fail uh, while you can maybe bail that person out from drowning. You got to take in some water if you want to learn, right? Especially that first shop that I worked at. If the shop owner wouldn't have been in a snowmobile accident, I probably would still be there, which is interesting to think about when you think about how my career all went, where I would have ended up otherwise. But yeah, there was a lot of taking on water, a lot of trying to bail water out of the ship while Matt's going down with it because they're really good lessons, though. That's where I go back to experience, right? Yeah. And so you had the wherewithal to learn from those mistakes. And in our training material, we use case studies, and that's how I came on board with Standard. Matt and Scott have both been contributing case studies. And so while some of them, especially from those two, were always really good examples of how to do it properly, there were my case studies, too, that like, uh, this guy did it all wrong, and we can learn a lot from what he did wrong. And so, again, it goes back to experience, right? And as long as we are a lifelong learner and, I guess, have the, the self-awareness to understand I'm, I'm not always right, but I'm going to learn from my mistakes, it's not an easy place for any of us to be. But that experience all adds up and you go, well, that didn't work. I'm going to try this next time. And I love what Matt was saying about the looking at fuel trims and driving around the block. You know, we discussed that many times of, looking at trims under different operating and load conditions and stuff like that and pinpoint vacuum leak, airflow reporting errors and injector or fuel tr- pressure problems, stuff like that. And like you said, that's not a one sentence piece, but that's, that's a lot of trial and error and understanding known good versus where the fault is. And again, that's experience. It's probably the deciding factor in the, in the levels that we've been talking about, right? When you talk about a CBA level technician or mechanic, most of that boils down to the experience. How much experience does the guy have? Is he able? You got to wean him up to the to that next level, that next job. You successfully did a brake job. Can you now do a timing chain on this car? You know, it's just more and more experience. And of course, the same happens with diagnostics. You know, the more experience you do, so much of it seems to come down to that. I used to use that analogy all the time in classes about you can look back at a great one in a totally unrelated field like a professional basketball player like Michael Jordan, he was typically the last guy to leave the practice court. He was already literally the best there was, but he would stay countless hours practicing free throws so that, you know, when crunch time came, when it was the last 15 seconds of the game and you're dead tired after playing all the whole game, you can step up to the free throw line and drop nothing but net. And it's that guy that stays on as Matt said many times already, he's up late at night looking at stuff, reading more stuff. He's, he's like a sponge. He's taking in all this information. He's hearing about all these things that went wrong, like Ryan just said, and other guys' diagnostic experiences and that knowledge base just keeps building and building and building. And that's what the ATEC is. He's the guy that, that puts that time in. He's that guy that's willing to go down that road. He's going to find the class that he wants to take. He's going to spend the extra time. He's going to not worry about the compensation up front or say, I'm done with this car. I don't want to deal with it anymore. I, you know, I want the tire repair. Was that was that it, Ryan? Just give me a tire repair or something, right? He's not that guy that, that he doesn't have that in him. It's part of his makeup. And it's, I guess, what 
the main thing behind being an A-tech. We're in an instant gratification world today. So you got a lot of guys out there that are in this industry that are young people that are really not too interested in the fundamentals behind it because they feel they can look everything up and get an answer immediately. I can Google it. I can go watch a YouTube video and figure out how to take this heater core out or do this. I don't really need a lot of background training, but the A-level mechanics and the A-level guys, they have that fundamentals. They have that background training. They've taken the basics. I'm glad you brought up the sports analogy because I think in the spirit of the podcast, we kind of all, for our, our favorite teams, can all think of that player that we drafted or acquired and they just really didn't pan out. And then the entire Detroit Lions organization. (laughs) Yeah, except Barry Sanders. (laughs) True. Yes. That guy was, yeah, Mount Rushmore. But you've drafted them, you acquired them through free agency. They just never panned out. They didn't reach the level you had hoped. You trade them away, and they are a star, an absolute star. And I think that kind of goes in line a little bit with what we're talking about, where what can the shop do to help? contribute to the success of this an A tech or a tech becoming an A level tech instead of getting in the way. What does that involve? Is it the culture of the team? Is it the training? You know, the coaching? Setting up the plays to better maximize their skill or their talent or where they will show the most ability or, or success. With uh Jordan would have probably been successful no matter what you put him in. Because he was just so much better than everyone else. But the others in his team were never going to be to that level. But they start running that triangle offense, and you have a lot of role players. And Pippen was not by any means a role player. He's an all-star level, top 50 all-time. But everybody else, you can't win with two. It's going to take at least, what, eight, ten, you know, considering the rotation. They have to be able to come out there and have success. So the team changes. They run that triangle offense, and Jordan is coached to hold back a little bit. You know, the fourth quarter can be yours, but hold back, get everybody else involved. And they go on to win six championships. We haven't seen anything like that since the Celtics with Russell. You know what I mean? So I think that sports analogy works really well with what we're talking about here is trying to step back and go, what can I do? What can we do to cultivate or create this environment that we can help our techs achieve their top potential. And maybe that's not an A tech. Maybe it's a really good B tech. And we need B techs. We need C techs. So, but I think along that line, same line, not everybody's a shooting guard, right? Right. A strong forward, you got your center, you, you got the different positions working together instead of doing the same thing. Guys, I am so loving where this discussion is. And what I want to do is I want to try to summarize it. We're not ending the podcast, but I've been writing down so much of my feedback here and I want to kind of ruffle through it. And I wrote down like eight key critical things on how to create an A-tech from both, and they both equal personal and business. So please think of two different runways in your mind, personal and business. Number one, be aware of your personal gift. And that goes to the business owner recognizing talent, talent recognition. So if you realize you've got a personal gift, I just love what my hands are. I know where all the bolts go then be the best you could possibly be mechanically because I don't think it's ever going to go away. I don't care EVs, hydrogen, whatever new kind of power plants we're ever going to have someday. We're going to need people who love to tear the toaster apart and put it back together again and make the toast even darker. Okay. I mean, Jesus, we need that. Lifelong learner. Stop me anytime and have a discussion. Lifelong learner. Are we all in agreement on that? Absolutely. Yeah, it almost goes without saying. Learn from mistakes and don't penalize and charge back individuals who need to have quick recovery and learn from it. It may not be legal to do that, but also anyone can make a mistake, really. But only a fool makes the same mistake twice and let people fail. Let them make the mistake and hopefully they learn from it or help them learn from it. I got to think the same shop that's uh, charging back to the technician is that same shop owner that goes, it's hard to find good help these days. You know? <laughs> it's just- Out of one side of his mouth right now. <laughs> right, right. I wrote down next, get a mentor. You all agree to that? Absolutely. I think I said that in my first episode with you, sir. Yeah, I think you did. If you can't find a mentor inside the business, 
oh, you don't belong to a networking group. You don't have a coach. You don't go, you don't know the guy down the road who's got a great shop and a great tech who'd be willing to met. Come on, a mentor. I'll say I've got mentors probably almost in every area of my life, right? I've got a group of guys that are executives or business owners that I'll go out for breakfast with quite often lunch with a couple of guys that are business owners, Bible study with a group of guys that are 15, 20 years ahead of me that have great marriage and parenting advice, you know, to understand some of that. And it's a lot easier and a few less knobs in my head to learn from their mistakes than from my mistakes. But I think still as a technician, you know, I've been working with a couple of different shops here and local shop owner, Corey Rosema has done a good job of putting together a, a team of young technicians and putting together monthly training. And so I'm like, yeah, we'll participate. We'll help with that and bring other young technicians in there and just helping them with the network. And it's kind of fun to see almost the next generation of some of this stuff happening. We've talked behind the scenes. My son is kind of getting into this now. Everything that comes out of my mouth is the dumbest thing he's ever heard. So I need to hook him up with, you know, Mana and Fanslow here. In, uh, <laughs> the same thing, but believe them, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think, you know, just by having that mentoring and he doesn't want to admit it, but sometimes we'll have questions like, well, did you ever see this? I'm like, oh yeah, this is how. And, you know, trying to have, be open to some of those kind of conversations there is, as Matt said, it's not, it's not a one sentence answer, but quite often I'll go, okay, here's a scan tool. Go plug that into this car a minute and, and tell me what you see. I think all of us benefited from our, our friend, the late Harvey Chan. He would never give you an answer. And that pissed a lot of people off. He would answer your question with more questions. And the, the guy looking for the silver bullet, you know, it frustrated him. But for those of us that appreciated the wisdom for what it was, okay, whatever, I'm going to go down this hunt. You find the wisdom at the end of it. He could challenge and empower you with almost one sentence. Mm -hmm. He had a great gift of being able to do that, Harvey. God bless Harvey. My next one on my list is read. Simple one word. Uh, Matt, you just can't get out of it without reading. And in fact, I think it was a friend of mine came back and says, wow, I was watching the guy who was fixing my car through the window and he's standing over there with these books and he's reading. I don't know what he's reading. You think he's fixing my car? I says, trust me, he was fixing your car. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Reading, reading yeah. comprehension. If you're struggling with reading service information, you might want to start reading more for leisure at home to try to develop that imagination. Not that you're trying to create an imaginary car or system in your head, but now maybe you're better able to read something and picture what they're talking about in your head. So if you feel like you're hitting the wall, regularly reading service information and trying to picture in your head how this system works or supposed to work or how this test is going to manifest itself and what it'll mean one way or the other. Maybe start getting away from it a little bit and at home trying to read more for leisure, you know, fiction type novels or something to better help your ability to picture stuff in your head. Maybe even pick books that have been made into a movies or TV shows so you can kind of associate characters and voices, but then try to get away from that and be able to do it on your own so that now when you're reading this service information and they're talking about gear to gear or lining up timing marks or something like that, you can do it in your head and it makes much better sense. And the diagrams, even as horrible as they may be, poorly drawn because what you've read and now what little quality of uh, diagram they've given you, you can better picture what you're supposed to do and put it into practice. I think that's a brilliant idea. I stole it from Scott, but <laughs> all the good ideas come from Scott. See, that's why I got a bookshelf full of books behind me because I haven't read them. Scott's is blank because he's read them all already. Encyclopedia of knowledge. I love it. Oh my God, that is great. The next one on my list is uh, called Tuition. Let me explain. I wrote a blog a few weeks back. Let's call this Stop Paying for Training and let's call it Investing in Tuition for our people and ourselves. It's tuition, everyone. And if you go back to the thought of college, yeah, mom and dad paid for my tuition or I paid for my tuition. We never talked about it as I paid for training. We paid for tuition. If you're working for a shop that doesn't want to pay, then I think you need to find another shop because they're not only investing in you and retention of you and the brilliance of you, they're also investing in their own productivity, which is, I believe, down the road going to be one of the most important KPIs we could possibly ever have that while we're there for those eight hours a day that we are 
as productive as we can because everything's working together. Guys, uh, 10 classes, right? Tuition, live, virtual, whatever ways. You guys have to have a million opinions on that because you're all trainers. Talk to me about that. I think live trumps everything. It's not even because of the instructors right there in front of you, although it helps a little bit with bantering, not that it should be 100% just visiting the whole time. But the networking, you, virtually, it's really hard to network with other attendees. And sometimes those are the people you're talking about that you're meeting that maybe they become a mentor. Maybe they just become kind of a, a colleague, somebody that you can call up and just toss something at and see how it sticks. And that's your road to building up this network of information sources, help. You can help back, knowledge, however you want to work, think about it. So live trumps everything. I don't see it. the other ways might be a little stronger and letting you learn more at your own pace. But after you start being able to pick stuff up re- relatively well, it's so important to meet somebody at your left and your right during the breaks for down the road. I mean, I've met many people that are friends or somebody that I can call or they can call me just because we went to a few classes together. Scott, training, live, virtual? Definitely live. That is, of course, both, well, both as an attendee and as a trainer, I obviously prefer live training than there's a place and there's uh, certainly some good virtual training out there. Uh, There's some good computer-based virtual education where it's interactive. But once you get into complex topics and you get into the whole networking idea of things, there's just a lot going on in a live class that's hard to replicate, you know, an in-person training class. So they're very successful. I think they're coming back, obviously, in the infancy of our pre-COVID or our post-COVID world. We're seeing the, the training is again ramping up. I'm sure it's going to be well attended. Vision did a phenomenal job this year, again, as usual. They had a record-breaking amount of first-time attendees. So it's definitely my preference. There's no doubt about that. Ryan, you guys are doing both. We do. Yep. Not quite the number we were doing pre-COVID, but well over a thousand nights live in person, which the instructors enjoy immensely, right? Because as Scott alluded to, not only as the attendees, but when you're trying to present, you thrive off the feedback of the audience, whether it be verbal or nonverbal. And looking at some of those cues, you know, last week I taught a class from our studio, actually a couple of them. And after a while, you know, you get used to it and you, you just go in robot mode. And there's some benefits with that because we can almost do a little more hands-on type stuff. Even though it's not hands-on, we can have cameras set up and show some stuff maybe you wouldn't have done in a certain class. So technology has given us new opportunities and we're, we're trained to capitalize on some of that stuff. And that's where I think the pre-recorded or the on-demand stuff has a little bit of benefit too. You know, with the family, I've been to 46 different states. And, you know, as we travel the country, I look at stuff and go, out in here, there's a town of... 3,000 people and there's two shops, they can't afford to host an in-person class. And so the virtual stuff is a great opportunity to reach those guys now without having them drive three and a half hours. You know, last year I was out in Iowa and I couldn't believe it, but somebody drove three and a half hours to come listen to me for two hours and couldn't believe it. And so technology's given us the opportunities to do that type of stuff. There's different learning paths for people now and there's, there's, so there's great supplemental and I mean that supplemental training, there's no replacement for the live stuff in, in the networking, just the value of that. But our virtual could get better to your point, and I'm sure it is. I haven't seen a lot of it, but with different camera shots, with B-rolls, with so many other standalone cameras, cameras under the hood, cameras, we could make it, we'll never make it live, but we can stretch the bounds in keeping people's attention. So who's ever out there who's listening to this, if you're doing any YouTubing or anything, stretch it and, and make it more more exciting. We might see technology with VR explode here. It'll start out with gaming, but I think like what you're saying is you could have a classroom or, or Ryan could have his studio set up with a series of 360 cameras sitting in where the seats would be. And then you log in and you're essentially taking out one of those and you have 360 degree views and you can... Talk to somebody's avatar next to you. And something that we've tried to do through digital workbooks, and we we put live scan recordings in there through ScanShare. And so we challenge the audience, say, here's the problem of the vehicle. Click on this link. You're opening up the scan data. You select the PIDs you want to see, and you analyze it. And then go ahead and type in the chat box here 
what data pids you want me to look at as an instructor, how to use this. And so that really drives the, the conversation to remove some of the static part. But also if it is pre-recorded, they can still click on the link and open up the scan tool and view that stuff. And then we'll put in pre-recording of different stuff. And so it's kind of like the old determine your old path storybook. Yeah. Even though it's virtual, it's almost live because you're interacting. Correct. And that's the goal of the whole thing. And there was a time when everybody's like, silence your phones, keep them off. We've taken the flip script of that and go, no, you're going to have your phone. You're used to using your phone all day. Pull your phone out, work through this problem with us using your phone. Weren't you guys, Ryan, the company for the, I'm going to guess 25 years ago, you had those little buttons you pressed, one, two, three, four. You would never leave the subject until percentage of the class knew the material. Am I right? Correct. What was the name of that? What was it called? Anybody remember? Power pole. Okay. And so, uh, yes, and that was interactive. The instructor had a receiver and everybody in the audience had. And it would go up on the screen. It would show. It would show. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Who knows the material? Yep. And it was anonymous, right? So it wouldn't call out Ryan for getting the answer wrong. But but no, that, that was an early method of assessing the performance of the instructor and the knowledge retention of the class. And the goal is that we want everybody to leave knowing the same stuff at the end of the night. The next thing on my list, guys, and you were talking heavily about that in this last little pieces we talked about live and virtual, was networking and the value and the power of that. You can't be afraid to, as someone says, who's sitting to your left and who's sitting to your right. And I know so many people that are so willing to say, yeah, get in the networking group and uh, call a friend. It's like small stones before the avalanche. Just thinking back, yeah, in the early classes they would have been the uh car quest before it was cti but shortly after i think they picked up a was it a spire don't matter but what really started it is reading those underhood service magazines and then there's an aw columnist in there john thornton and then being able to reach out to him talk to him on the phone exchange emails back and forth back and forth and then go to a training class and shake his hand and banter a little bit before, during, and after class, and then learning about LenderText, and then going to the website and reading everything they have on there, and IATN, and learning, kind of talking a little bit with Ryan Coyman, and then meeting him in Indianapolis at the LenderTech facility, and then meeting Scott Manna, and it grows into friendships, and then it keeps expanding and expanding, and it gives you other opportunities, and you get better at your job. Like, None of that happens without meeting people and interacting and networking and, and growing that group and finding other people that are just as passionate. I don't I struggle to say like like-minded, but definitely have the same interests and drive to become better and better and learn more. Like, how does this really work? If I know how it really works, can I diagnose it that much faster? Can I fix it that much faster? I don't think I get anywhere near whatever. You know, and again, I have I struggle with the ranking system. What well, I don't know what that means, but whatever level I would be considered at, it does not happen without these things happening. It doesn't happen without meeting Ryan Coyman. It does not happen without meeting Scott Manna and then being able to hang out with them in a shop setting, looking at cars together and look at how Scott Manna looks at data, thinks about a system, look at listening to Ryan Coyman talking about what he's looking at this piece of data. And going back and forth, and it's not even who's right, who's wrong. It's that different perspective. Yeah, it's tell, it's like tell me what you saw out of that. Why did you say what you said? And and we were blessed, I think, to have mutual respect. We had a lot of fun, you know, Scott's shop, Aaron Keppen's shop, yep. different people's shops we hang out at. But we had a lot of fun. But we also had that mutual respect of like, why would you say what you just said? Right. And help me understand that. Yeah, Scott, what Matt just said, it kind of reminded me of building self-awareness, building self-confidence, and building a career assurance that you're all heading in the same direction. You're all as thirsty and you have people you could lean on if necessary. Yep. Great minds think alike. (laughs) The great diagnosticians are all out there kind of after the same thing, wanting that, hungry for that knowledge, wanting to know how things work. It's great analogy for networking, Matt. Uh, Thank you. And then finally, Matt, I know we've done an episode on this journaling. Are you still taking a lot of notes when you're done with a challenge or something that you learned so that you can always go back to it? I mean, I still rely heavily on my memory. And one of these days, it's going to burn me. But I've got a couple of really one apprentice tech. I'm riding them to start journaling. 
because I think it will help immensely. And then I think we all did it. We just called it case studies. It wasn't journaling. It was case studies. That's what we called it. But it's essentially what it was, right? We uh, kept track of service information, photos of systems or layouts, whatever, how we were hooked up with our test equipment, notes, what we did, why we did it. And then down the road, months, weeks, years later, similar vehicle comes in. I kind of had a car like this. I think it had this code, right? It was, I was dealing with this system and then you pull it up and you got this PowerPoint you made or Google slides or whatever. And you can kind of go through it again and go, oh, that's right. I could go to this connector or I forgot about this. There's this PID and that, that, we'd share it on Skype, right? We had yep. chat rooms and we did a lot of that kind of stuff. That's that back, back in the day that networking, or, yeah. Right. Or we'd be the weenies in the hotel lobby at three o'clock in the morning still looking at somebody's uh, scope pattern yeah. on a laptop. You're geek talking. The current issue of Motor Age, there was an article. I can't remember who wrote the article right now, but it was called Documenting What You Do in the Bay. It's, it's easier today than, than it's ever been. You know, 25 years ago, it wasn't quite so easy, but today, you know, so many things are PC based. You can put PowerPoint everywhere. You have the ability to capture so much stuff on your phone that documenting each car you work on. I mean, almost every car, believe it or not, I still actually am working on cars because I do shop support. I go out to shops that are struggling with a car. And step one is I open up my laptop and I start a PowerPoint. And I have many guys go, you're capturing all this? I go, of course, you know, it's really easy to do. You know, it's easy to go control and stick a screen into a PowerPoint. And you, you don't forget what you just did 20 minutes ago because you can back up in your PowerPoint and go, oh, that's what that data pit said. I mean, I just was doing one on Friday on a monitor incompletion problem. And it's just, it's amazing that more, obviously the good techs are doing it. There's plenty of people that are doing it, but more should be. Yeah, I agree. Thanks for that. Hey guys, this was great. Did we accomplish what we wanted to set out to? In my opinion, yes, because I think what we were able to do is to set up what a professional career as a high-level mechanic or a high-level diagnostician is about and the commitment that needs to be made. And I think we had a great mental discussion for shop owners and for technicians at the same time. I think we covered both sides that have to meet together and build the right culture, the culture of learning inside of a an organization. If I went to a place and they didn't want to invest in keeping me at the top of my craft, I'm willing to. Shop owner needs to commit. And if they don't want to pay for me, at least to go and the class, then pay for my time and maybe pick up my hotel. So there's a way to work it out. And the top tier shops, they're paying 100%. Why can't you? And that helps you get to a higher pinnacle than you're currently at as, as a shop owner guys this was great thank you so much i hope this is going to change some people's mindsets and we're going to be able to keep a bunch of people inside this industry that don't want to go somewhere else because maybe they're burned out or they don't really necessarily see the worth and the value of the career that they have thank you for helping us set that up matt fonslow shop manager lead diagnostician riverside automotive and the matt fonslow diagnosing the aftermarket a to z podcast ryan coyman director of training standard motor products and scott manna Aftermarket trainer at Great Water Garages and AC Duckle Technician of the Millennial. Guys, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Connor. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.